You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To learn more about the Collective Church in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, visit us online at thecollectivechurch.com. I'm Pastor Heather. My husband and I, Ben, Pastor Ben, and Bob and Jenny, we founded the Collective Church together. And um, I'm saying that because I want to tell you that I have authority to speak to you this morning. Um, You probably know that and you're like, fine, whatever, that's great. But I'm declaring in the spiritual realm that any bit of religious spirit or who is that lady, any bit of um, second guessing or confusion that you might feel, just recognize that as a religious spirit. And so, Lord, we take authority over that in the name of Jesus. I have been asked by God to speak to you this morning, and so I will obey him. So, Father, I thank you for your presence this morning, and, and I honor you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you have free reign this morning. You have free reign, and religious spirit, you have to leave in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Okay, I put these shoes on this morning because I didn't know what to wear and the Lord said put the heels on this giant heels I'm wearing Um, (laughs) I didn't want to but I wasn't exactly sure if it went well with this outfit but that doesn't matter Ben helps me get dressed a lot of times (laughs) and he's gone he's in Mexico and so are Bob and Jenny so anyway suffering for Jesus, whatever. We're all here together. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Ben is probably actually on a plane flying home at this point. Well, maybe he's at the airport. And uh, Bob and Jenny will be in Mexico for a few more days. And they actually were at two different events. But um, all that to say, I put these shoes on. I asked my kids about it. And my son said, yeah, it looks good. You look like a principal. And I was like, okay, I'm wearing these. (laughs) I'm wearing these. Um, and then I did. I brought my tennis shoes just in case. And I asked the worship team if, I was like, which one should I wear? And they said tennis shoes. And so I put them on. And then I was like, no, Holy Spirit said wear the heels. So I'm just going to take my space. We've talked a lot about that. And walk in authority and just share what the Lord has put on my heart this morning. And just know that he is intentional and he has something for you today. And you know what's crazy? I've been in so many services before and heard a lot of different people speak and and hear them later say that people would come up to them and say, when you said that one thing, it really was amazing for me. And the speaker is like, I never really said that. So just know that God can actually tailor a message specific for you this morning. And it could be something I say or it isn't. So it's just wild. God is wild like that. He is amazing. All right. So we are in our money series. And I was excited about that to speak because I I have had some victory in this area. I should probably move this to the middle. Don't mind. Just going to do that. All right. Okay. You guys good? Not distracted anymore? It's good. All right. Here we are. Okay. I'm going to share with you my testimony. I was like, God, what? What am I talking about today? And he said, testify. Because you know, at the collective church, we, um, Sunday mornings are a celebration. Sunday mornings are family time. Sunday mornings are, let's share our hearts with one another. Um, and so that's, I just, I was like, oh yeah, that's easy, God. So I'm going to share with you what the Lord has walked me through over several, several years. Um, pastor Ben and I got married and he was pastor Ben when I got married to him. <laughs> he was a youth pastor at that time. And, um, we got married and we actually pastored youth pastored for 11 years together before we became associate pastors. And then we moved to Portland. But when we got married, it was about two months before and we bought a duplex 
And we knew that we wanted to be wise with our money and make some good investments. I was 21. No, I was 20 when we got married. I was 21 when I had Ashton. Um, and so we were, I was, take this for what it is. I was dumb. I was pretty naive. Okay. I was 20 years old. Not all 20 year olds are dumb. Okay. Anybody 20 out there? Okay. I'm not putting that on you, but I was, I was pretty naive. I just was clueless, but also really, really full of faith. So I was able to take tons of risks without any second thought, which that's kind of a beautiful picture. And it's kind of like childlike faith. So I was a child. I had no clue what we were doing. I just thought, you know, I don't think I want to pay rent to somebody else. I'd like to pay my own mortgage so that I'm making money, whatever. That's not what this is about, but this is part of my testimony. So we buy the duplex. We have rental income and we live on the other side. It was a dump. And so we had to remodel it. We, again, being 20-somethings, I was 20, he was 22, I didn't realize that it was going to take so long to remodel. <laughs> We're like, two months? We have two months before we get married. We'll totally have it finished. Oh, he wants to hear me speak, I think. <laughs> Sweet baby. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, um, anyway, we thought it would, we'd be done with it. Any, we moved in with my in-laws for seven months because we were not done remodeling it when we got married. So that's weird. <laughs> One night we're dating and I got to go home to my parents' house. Then we get married, two weeks honeymoon, then I come home and go to his bedroom. <laughs> Bye guys, <laughs> good night, we're going to bed, is that okay? You know, <laughs> so awkward. Uh, anyway, so for seven months we lived with his parents while we continued the remodel of this little duplex. Um, and we loved it. It was sweet. Ashton, we had Ashton there and it was a really tiny spot and we rented it out to our friends, which they tell you not to do, but we did it anyways. It was, it was okay. You know, it was hard to rent to your friends. That is still good advice. Don't rent to your friends. <laughs> the Lord worked it out. But through that process, we just kept saying yes to some things, which is okay, but we didn't really take it to the Lord. And again, we were young and pretty naive and just were like, well, fine, whatever. And so we bought another duplex. And what we did was we refinanced the first one to take a chunk of money out to put it on the next one. So you're going from debt to more debt to more debt, which I don't think they actually allow you to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Any mortgage brokers here? Um, anyway, so I, so here we are. Now we have two duplexes, so four rental, well, three rentals because we live in one. And then there's a contractor in our church and a realtor who's like, hey, and he had just started contracting and he's like, there's a beautiful property. You could buy this property and build your own home. Because at this point I'm pregnant with my, no, I'm pregnant with Taylor. I'm pregnant with the second one. And I don't know why we thought this was a good idea. We're like, yeah, we need a new, new house. <laughs> you know, we're, we'd only been married a few years and we we're just buying up property and going more into debt. And we were still youth pastors, you guys. Youth pastors don't make a lot of money. Just so you know. And um, so we just continued. And so this, this contractor, in the midst of building it, you know, we took out the, the loan, and which is a, um, which some of you heard this story, but I want you to hear it from my perspective because it's a little bit different for me because I'm me and Ben is Ben. But um, we, what is that called? Their construction loan. So we took out a construction loan, which means that you're in charge of the loan, right? Because it's under my name. But the builder has access to your funds. So the contractor is building our house 
it's going pretty slow. And then we, somebody says, Google your name, Ben. And we Google his name and there's a lien and a lien and a lien and a lien. And the lien is when they, you know, when you owe money to somebody. And so we get in there and we owe probably about $130,000 to the trust company, to the, um, the big equipment rental company, to other people on top of the mortgage company. Because what was happening and the contractor went bankrupt that day. And so he was taking our draw money to fund other jobs, which is back then it was quite normal. I think there's new regulations, um, possibly due to our file. At least it is in Alaska. Pretty big deal. We're a pretty big deal. Um, <laughs> but so what happened was he got frozen. He, we know that he did not do it maliciously. It was just a thing that they would do. They take this money and they'd pay off this job and then they'll go grab that money to pay off your job and then this money and it's, it's floating money and it's, it's like, okay, but he got frozen in the midst of it and then guess whose fault it is? It's ours. So when we first learned about that, I was like, well, this is no big deal, right? Because it's, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. He just did that. And um, all that to say, that was, it was so big. I was like, well, I'm a mom of one. I'm pregnant with my second and we're youth pastors. Am I going to go be a barista now too? Like, how am I going to make $130,000? Because then what happens is they freeze you in your building because we needed more money to finish the building. So just our house actually sat there for a year with the Tyvek. Thank God it was paused with the Tyvek wrap and the roof on top. So it was sealed. That's actually kind of a miracle too. Um, but it was our fault. So we were stuck with that. This all matters to what I'm talking about today. Anyway, so here we are. Then what happens is a miracle. Our church gets wind of this. Other people around the nation that we don't even know hear about this. And $10,000 shows up in my mailbox. $40,000 shows up in the mailbox. There are contractors that are uh, finished carpenters that are volunteering their time, their skills, some of their own uh, product. You know, they bring their own trim to put in my house, you know, their own insulation. And Ben and I learned how to insulate and that stuff is terrible. You know, we would invite the youth group over for a pizza party slash help us walk the sheetrock in from the driveway to the front door, you know? And so we actually taught a lot of kids a lot of cool things about construction <laughs> while we were learning how. Um, but it was a miracle after miracle after miracle and about a year and a half, almost two years go by and our house is finished and we were able to pay off the people that we owed money to because I didn't want the rental company it was called Tyler rental and they were local people. They needed the money too. So if I went bankrupt, they don't get paid either. Right? So God worked a miracle for us to be able to pay things off and rebuild our house and be able to move in. It was amazing. Such a miracle. Super humbling to be in that place where you need to receive. And um, it was a man, I don't remember his name, but he built this Destiny Foundation and it was designed where these people would put money into an account just for people like us who were stuck financially as a result of not their own doing. So it wasn't our fault. Or like a single mom whose car is totaled and she doesn't have anything. So that was the idea behind this foundation. And so the Lord used that to rescue us and to provide a giant miracle. It's just amazing. So thank you, Jesus. But so that happens and the Taylor's born. And so we live there and Macy's born. And um, 
So we were in there for about four years and then God calls us to Portland. And I remember being like, I didn't want to. I thought I would be born and raised and live and die in Juneau, Alaska. I was an Alaskan through and through. All my kids were born in the same hospital I was born in. And so I was willing to live and die there. I was like, this is a special place, God. You've called me here. I say, yes, Lord. Because a lot of people don't want to live in Alaska. You know, it's, it's tough. It's hard, but I loved it. So. so, but when Ben heard the call to Portland and he felt the transition in his spirit, I knew that it was right that sense, but I also knew I needed to get a word from God for myself. And this is a, just kind of an interesting detail, and I think it is for somebody specific, but I, when I went to pray about it, about moving, all I could hear God say, instead of, Heather, yes, go, move to Portland, plant a church, I heard him say, obey your husband. Do what Ben says. Follow him. And so I was like, okay, because I knew in the for who I am, and um, probably it's true of everybody, but my number one strength is belief. And so I have to believe what I'm doing. So I knew I needed a word from God because I knew when you move and you're planting a church, which it it just, things get shaky and you need something to stand on. So I was like, God, that's great that you've spoken to Ben, but you've got to speak to me. And so, and he did. And that's what he said to me was follow your husband. So I don't know who that's for, but that that's an important detail in my story. Um, and it, it, it went well for us. We moved to Portland. Here we are. We bought a house in Tigard. And um, well, that beautiful home that was a miracle, I wanted to keep because it was a rental. It was a duplex. So we could have rental income. And so last week in the kids' ministry, I don't know, were any of you teachers? Shout out to kids' ministry teachers. They probably came to first service or they're back there. Um, <laughs> We did this lesson where, um, you know, if you hold sand or rice like this, you can hold quite a bit. But as soon as you close your fists to like hold on to it tighter, you lose some. You lose quite a bit. And so that's what I was doing with that house. I was like, God, this is my miracle. This is like... There were people's names written in the sheetrock in the garage of all the people. Like, oh, gosh. I don't know, 60 different names of people who gave time, money, energy, prayers, and they came and wrote their name in our house. It was an absolute miracle. And God said, sell it. I want you to give it. And um, so he gave me that picture that I was like this with it. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) So I gave it. And we sold it. We bought a house. We used that money to, um, to live for a little while because we moved to plant a church and that church is the one that we got fired from. We no longer pastor there, obviously, because we're pastoring here. <laughs> I love some of those details I give. <laughs> but what that did for me, um, it was very... Okay, wait, let's keep going. So we moved to Tigard, and we buy, buy that house, and that house was sweet. But then we get fired from the church in Tigard. And... Thank God we had a house, but we had no income. We had no money, and there was no money. So, <laughs> so there was nothing. So we had no money, but we had a beautiful house. Um, years go by, and I know the goodness of God, right? I've seen miracles. We were actually able to stay in that house for three years, and God provided $50 check, 
a surprise rebate of something that we don't even know about, $1,200. People would, uh, $3,000. Um, a family gave us $5,000. You know, it would be a surprise job. Somebody had me do flowers in their yard and gave me $250. I was like, thank you. You know, there's just miracle after miracle. And then insert Bob and Jenny, and they bring us friendship and leadership and um, a business. And I did do a, a in-home daycare for a little season. But so I saw God work miracles in that season. In addition to that, we did two years of counseling, two years that we paid for. Because, you know, without a job, without an income, we did not have insurance. <laughs> so in order to do counseling, we just had to pay him. And I remember coming into the counseling office with my checkbook, and we had to write him a check, hand it to him before he would start the session. Um, or sometimes we'd have cash. It couldn't be, hey, can we hit you up next week because we don't have anything? It wasn't that. It was we had to have the money. Two years of counseling, we added that up, um, about 76 sessions. So sometimes when you hear people say, yeah, we, I've done years of counseling. Maybe it was once a month. Maybe it was once every other month. Every single week for a little over a year, and then every other week. And somehow, we paid for it. But we knew that that was an investment we had to do in order to survive, in order to get out of the pit that we were in. So. I've seen miracles financially, but yet what happened was trauma. So there is trauma in the midst of my miracles. There was such loss. You know, there was such, like we lost the friendship with the contractor that built the home that went bankrupt. He went to our church. He felt bad, we never slandered him. We knew, we knew, I still know to this day, he didn't do that on purpose. So it wasn't necessarily his fault, but it was his fault, you know? And we got stuck with it. And he didn't. He actually went on to build other businesses and nothing happened to him. So there was trauma. I was homeless with my two babies for a season while that house was being built. Homeless, I use that loosely. I had in-laws, we had friends, but we're bouncing around. We don't have a place to land. That's traumatic for a young mom. Then we lose, we're fired. We have no friends, we have no food. I'm going to the store with my food stamps, making sure I have enough food stamp money left and knowing that I don't have any actual money. You know, that's traumatic. It was a miracle to get the food stamps. It was a miracle those checks that would show up in the mail. And to be honest with you, we could have taken those checks instead of paying for counseling and paid our electricity bill. I can't tell you how many times my water got shut off. So that's really, really traumatic even while God was taking care of us. So the time came where it was like three years of living in that house in Tigard, and um, it was time to, I, I heard the Lord say, because I was kind of stubborn and a little bit prideful, I was like, this is our best solution. If we rent, we're gonna have to pay the same amount as we are to our mortgage, and I don't understand like why I need to, anyways, I didn't wanna sell the house. I was doing this again. And I heard the Lord say, you don't own it anyways. And it's so true because I'm afraid of foreclosure. I'm afraid the bank's going to be like, hey, listen, that's enough. We're taking the house. And I was like, oh, you're right. I don't really own it. You know, what was it? I can't remember what bank. Anyways, they own it. And so at that point, it was like, God helped my mindset. And I boop, shifted over. We sold that house. We were able to pay off a ton of debt because the market had increased. And we sold it for quite a bit like almost 100000 more than what we bought it for. 
We needed to do that. So that was a miracle. But yet, we moved into a rental and we got hit again. Ben had started his own business. Startup businesses are hard. Amen. So we had seasons of lack even still. And I was determined not to go on food stamps again because it is a blessing, but it needs, there's a weaning process. You've got to get off of that thing. Um, and so I went to work at Home Goods. I remember minimum wage was not what it is today. And this was just a few years ago. It was, anyway, I was taking home like $8 an hour. And so I would get my paycheck on Friday and it was like $111, $109. It was always that amount. And I would deposit it and go to Costco. Deposit it and go to Costco. <laughs> my mother-in-law bought us a Costco membership. So anyway, traumatic. God provided. I had $111 to go to Costco. My mother-in-law got me a membership so I could get more food for less, right? Praise God. Praise God. But how traumatic is that? And maybe some of you have been there or are in it. And this is the scripture I want to read to you, just kind of leaving you right there in that part of my story, and then we'll continue. But if you can go to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, here it is. We're going to start in verse 14. <laughs> All right, here we go. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like the wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Okay, catch this story. It's a few verses here, but hang with me. Before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another, a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and to the third, a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each according to his ability to manage. The one entrusted with 5,000 immediately went out and traded the money and doubled his investment. In the same way, the one who was entrusted with 2,000 gold coins traded with the sum and likewise doubled his investment. But the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After much time had passed, the master returned to settle his accounts. The one who was entrusted with 5,000 came and brought 10,000, saying, see, I've doubled your money. Commending his servant, the master replied, you have done well and proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. Because you have been faithful, a faithful steward to manage a small sum, now I will put you in charge of much, much more. Verse 22, then the one who had been entrusted with 2,000 gold coins came in and said, I've doubled what you've entrusted to me. 20, verse 23, again, commending a servant, the master replies, well done. You've proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. Come celebrate with me. Verse 24, then the one who had been entrusted with 1,000 gold coins came to his master and said, look, sir, I know you're a hard man to please, and you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. I was afraid of you, so I went and I hid your money and buried it in the ground. But here it is. Take it. It's yours. Angered by what he heard, the master said to him, you're an untrustworthy and lazy servant. If you knew I was a shrewd and worthless ruthless businessman who always makes a profit. Why didn't you just at least deposit my money in the bank? Then I would have received all back with interest when I returned. But because you were unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins and give them to the one who has 10,000. For the one who has will be given more until he overflows. And the one with hardly anything, even what little he has will be taken from him. Then the master said to his other servants, get this, 
Now throw that good-for-nothing servant far away from me into the outer darkness where there will be great misery and anguish. Anguish. Oh, that's intense. So I was reading this, gosh, probably two years ago. It's been a long journey. And I was like, God, why so harsh? Because, uh, you know, this is a type and shadow of Father God. He's the master and we are his servants. We are bond servants, which means we choose. So back in the day, that's what a, a servant was, somebody who actually chose their master and they submitted to them and, and most of the time they got paid actually. A slave is different, okay? Slaves don't have a choice. So we are servants of Christ, okay? So I want you to catch what this says here. The master, the wealthy man or master, summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. Okay, so he he's the master. I'm the servant. Why is God so harsh on this servant? And I was asking the Lord about that and um and he's like, "You know, Heather, you're you're the one bag guy. <laughs> you're the one talent guy." And I was like, "I know. I know. Why am I that guy?" You know, why do I feel like I relate to that guy so much? And um, what, it seems responsible. I got one bag. I'm just going to put it right here so I don't lose it. I'm just going to hide it. And I'll just give it back to you. What's so bad about that? Why, why do they have to be, why does he have to be thrown, the good-for-nothing servant thrown into outer darkness. I'm like, that's so extreme. He returned the money. Good grief. And the master doesn't even tell him what he wants him to do with it. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to take this and double it. He doesn't say anything. He just says, here, I trust you. Take the money and I'll be back. So um, what the Lord spoke to me that day and for several days after that was just that's you, Heather. And I was like, okay, God. And he showed me how I misjudged his character. I have been misjudging his character. That servant was misjudging his character. And there's a lot of reasons why we can misjudge God's character. A lot of it stems from a poverty mindset, a lack mindset, a victim mindset. The one that says, well, I only got one bag of gold. So, I mean, I guess... According to his abilities, I guess I'm only able to hold this one bag of money. It's only a little bit. Or, you know, in some translations, it calls the talents. And so the Lord was speaking to me about my own gifts and talents. So this is about money, but it's also about you as a person. You know, this chapter um, or this section of scripture starts with, again, the heaven's kingdom realm. The kingdom realm. The kingdom realm is here on this earth, and it's not, this isn't um, just about what to do with your money. This is about salvation and life here on this earth and being obedient to God. This isn't about the best way to use your money. This is like, this is like, God, I want to give you my heart. This is me not missing the character of God. So in the midst of my trauma, you know, what happened was I just, I forgot or I, I um, 
decided to protect myself and lower my expectations of the Lord and of myself. And so it's easier to just take what little you have and hide it and tuck it away and say, you know, I, I don't have as much as so-and-so and, you know, I guess I'll give my $10 in the offering. You know, that guy's probably giving $100 and, you know, that person has so many investments and they have so much extra and so they're able to give so much. And, you know, I know all the widows might, you guys know that story, the widow who gives all that she has and it's just a penny. So, you know, here's my $10. And that's actually good. Like, you know, all along, Ben and I's brokenness and uh, financial issues and all of these things, we still knew that we needed to tithe. Like, I knew that that was the right principle. And the tithe is not what I'm preaching today. The tithe is just where we start, right? A tithe is an easy calculation. It's 10%. And then you give above and beyond. And we knew that to be a true principle. So even in the midst of our nothingness, we would still tithe. So it, it, it was a widow's might, okay? It was like... <laughs> but here's what it did. My trauma, even though I was giving faithfully, I had no joy attached to it. And God loves a cheerful giver. That's actually how we're supposed to give. And so I actually wonder if, well, I don't wonder this is true. This is the bad attitude this guy had. It's only one bag. I'm just giving $10. So here's the, here it is. This is the lowest requirement. There you go. It's all I got. Here, you can have it, God. That's not faith. And you could be labeled just like I was. Because you were unfaithful, I will take the 1,000 gold coins and give them to the one who has 10. That is so, I just, if you break that down literally, that's so mean. <laughs> right? That is not the heart of God. But he, how do we please God? It's with faith and being a joyful giver, one who is open-handed and surrendered, one who chooses to trust God Almighty. And so the other part that I want you to grab today, so there's, there were two things I heard the Lord say. It was, um, we're going to pray for freedom from a poverty mindset, freedom from a victim mindset, freedom from lack, and then also that you would learn to trust God that you would receive a supernatural impartation of the ability to trust him. If you don't trust him with your finances or you're just giving the tithe without any sort of joy, so that's just an indicator. This is not condemnation. This is my experience. This is just a testimony of, of how I was stuck because it's not just about money. It actually trickles into everything. It's your talents. It's singing. It's preaching. It's sharing the message of the gospel with your neighbor. It's uh, you waking up and choosing to have joy in the morning. It's you waking up and saying, I'm going to get the word of God into my brain, even if I don't understand it. It's, it's all about those things. Because if you feel like the forgotten servant, the one who got less than everybody else, and the one who's like, well, I better, you know, he gave me the less. He doesn't trust me that much. And so I'm just going to bury it and just give it back to him. If you feel like that, I think you have a distrust and you're misjudging his character and you're missing out. So God, God is trustworthy. In 1 Timothy 6, he said, uh, I think it's verse 17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all that we need for our enjoyment. So I knew that God would give me what I needed to get by so that my kids wouldn't die. 
right? <laughs> I'll have water to drink. At least there's that. It's fine. It's just enough. Because there's people starving in Africa, so this is fine. Well, that's comparison again, and that's a bad attitude. And you're misjudging God's character because what it says here is, their trust should be in God who richly gives all that we need for our enjoyment. 1 John 4, 18 and 19. This is a pretty famous scripture here in this church for sure. In my Bible for sure. (laughs) I'm just going to read it out of here so I don't paraphrase because I do that a lot. 18 and 19, 1 John 4, 18 and 19. You should probably highlight this if it's not highlighted. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not received love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Okay, let's go back to this. Love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Potentially. (coughs) Ashley, we hand me my water. dry coughs, you know. (laughs) If I didn't get it now, it would not stop. Okay. If you're not able to trust God right now, maybe you don't know how much he loves you. Maybe you're afraid that he's a ruthless master. Maybe you're afraid that I've messed up so many times, I never should have bought that duplex. So I'm just going to take my one bag and I'm going to bury it over here because obviously you don't trust me, God, and I'm not worthy. That is you fearing punishment. So the solution for that is receiving the love of God. And everything in my life just twizzles right down to that. Heather, would you just receive my love? So this morning, would you stand with me while I keep talking through my coughing voice? Sorry. Thank you. This is not a message of condemnation. You know, when God told me I was like that lazy, sassy servant, (laughs) I was like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And I actually felt the love of God because he wants to point out areas that that are keeping you from your destiny. He wants you to receive salvation here, now. Not just so that you don't burn in flames in hell. He He needs us to be walking full of life and freedom and victory and joy so that we can go rescue other people. Amen? And so when we give, we give cheerfully, joyfully, knowing that God is taking care of us, knowing that whatever I offer unto him with the joy in my heart, 
is enough. And he's like, yes, way to go. So whatever you offer him money-wise, time-wise, maybe you're really good at smiling at your neighbor and saying, hey, how are you? You know, there's, I have a, a, a neighbor lady who is so sweet and she pops out probably once every three to four months. So I've been praying for her because I don't know what happens to her for three months. I literally do not see her. And so there are people like that. I don't know. I know she doesn't know the Lord. I know that. We've talked about that. But if I just decide, well, you know, I'm not really good at sharing the gospel. I'm a children's pastor and I'm really, I actually really don't like speaking on the microphone. (laughs) And who am I to share with my neighbor? Because I don't know what she's going through. Well, that's you hiding your little bag of money. I'm not as good as the other people who do that. And what if I screw it up? Because I've screwed up before. So God, you probably can't trust me with that. So I hit it. And here, you can just take it back. That would be you missing the point and missing the character of God, misjudging him. So let's pray right now. Would you raise your hands with me? Father, we just want to repent for a poverty mindset. God, I'm sorry for misjudging your character and and making it all about myself. I'm sorry for being insecure. I'm sorry for taking my eyes off of Jesus and putting them back into my own self and going, well, I'm just not good enough. I don't want to be punished. What I have to offer isn't that much. Forgive me, God. If that's you this morning, would you just kick any religious spirit in the butt right now and say out loud with your own voice, this is how we're doing it. We're saying it out loud. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I receive your love. Thank you for providing for me. I will be a good steward. I will say yes to what you've given me. I will not misjudge your character and I will not judge others. Thank you for your blessing. And I ask you for increase this morning. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just thank you for breaking poverty, for breaking a victim mindset that says, I'm just I'm just a little bit. I'm only this. I'm only that. And which is causing you to hide. It, don't hide. There's no more hiding. When I was preparing, I heard that, that song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And I was like, God, that's about like sharing the love of Jesus. It's not really about money. And he's like, it is. It is all about that. What you do with your money is probably what you're doing with people's souls. This scripture in the Bible says the kingdom of heaven. It's describing the kingdom of heaven, but it also says a a message on the stewardship of money. That's what it's called. So it's so intertwined. You know, Pastor Ben said last week that his wallet is a private part. And we had to edit that on the podcast because nobody could see what he was holding up. This is my private part, right? (laughs) Thanks, Rachel, for saving us. Um, (laughs) But it's so true. Our money is so intimate. Of course it's related to our destiny. Of course it's related to salvation of other people. What is the most important thing on this planet? People, people, people. 
So Father, I ask that you would rescue us. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to receive your love so that we can give freely, so that we can see other people. Lord, I thank you that you are a gracious and kind God. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To find out more, visit thecollectivechurch.com.